Welcome to the Cultural Cultivators podcast, hosted by me, Nicole Salver, by Belay Creative and Cultivate Labs, where we explore the diverse and dynamic world of Filipino-American culture. In each episode, we delve into various aspects of Philam culture and speak with entrepreneurs, leaders, artists, and creators who are shaping and pushing the boundaries of their respective fields. Our goal is to not only showcase the richness and diversity of our culture, but also foster a deeper understanding and appreciation of the ways in which these cultivators shape our world. Join us in this exciting journey as we explore the cultural landscape and cultivate a greater appreciation for the beauty and complexity of the Philam experience. Follow us on all social media platforms at Belay Creative or Cultivate Labs, both with a K. Nikbo is a Philippine ex third culture kid who was raised in Morocco, Canada, Malawi, and Kazakhstan before moving to the Bay Area at 16. She grew up playing piano, listening to Mariah, and singing freedom songs, folk music, and spirituals in her college choir. She blends emotive melodies with electronic production and influences from her global childhood and calls it third culture pop. Regardless of what category you put her in, at the root, Nikbo's music is about healing. From her creative process to performance, she's aiming for her own wholeness and collective liberation. She was a 2022 Belay Creative Artist Grantee and just recently released her new single, You Are a Wonder. You know the feeling when you first see the ocean. In our conversation, she talks about how she found her unique voice as an artist by mimicking other artists she was inspired by. In one aspect, it was like I was seeking validation or like I wanted to be like them. But in another aspect, like putting on all those different clothes over time helped me figure out like what felt comfortable to seeing, what felt pleasurable to seeing or express and that sort of practical exploration helped me feel more confident in my voice. Also in the conversation, we talk about overcoming imposter syndrome, how growing up all over the world informed her artistic practice and how Filipino culture and community influenced her as a musical artist. You can find her on Instagram at nickbowmusic and visit her website at nickbowmusic.com. So we are here with Nickbo. Nickbo is a Belay Creative 2022 grantee. And I'm so excited to have Nickbo here on our podcast. But before we even get into the nitty gritty, Nickbo, how are you doing today? Hmm. I'm good. 
it's Friday when we're recording this, so I've got that Friday feeling a little bit, but also we're leaving for a big trip tomorrow, so I've also got that, I need to pack a bunch of stuff feeling. <laughs> Thanks for asking. How are you? I'm feeling good. I'm happy the sun is finally shining. We had a lot of rain last night and wind, so I'm glad there's a break in the storm, so to speak. Oh, yeah. It was supposed to be really stormy today. Yeah. But I think somebody told me it moved south of us. Whew. That's good. That means a good travel day for you tomorrow. Yes. Yeah, we looked it up. We're going to be on the road, so hopefully everything will stay chillish. Good. Yay. So this is sort of a grounding question we've been asking all of our podcast guests. Which ancestor or ancestors would you like to call into this conversation today? I would like to call in for grounding uh, my Mama X. She's my mom's mom, my grandmother. We call her Mama X, but her name is Francisca Tabaranza Francisco. She passed in 2015 and she was like the matriarch of our family. And I'm just like looking at some peonies right now. And those were her favorite flower. So she is definitely here already. And then thinking of her also because she was such like a green thumb, she always had flowers around her house. And then when she was living in Canada, which is where my family immigrated, and then in the Philippines, before they moved, there were like all these fruit trees and plants and stuff around their house. And so I also specifically want to call in this coconut tree. I think the like babies of the coconut tree are now in my family's backyard in Mindanao, but I never met the like original coconut tree, but I want to call in that plant sister too. I love that. <laughs> well, I just learned, so I went to the Philippines in January, I was like really fascinated by the coconut trees that were like next to their house because we got so much from them. Like the coconut nectar, I guess, they would turn into vinegar and like we use that to cook every day. Like they never bought vinegar. It would just come from the coconut tree and it just like kept producing it. And then like the meat, of course, and the juice. And I was just like, wow, like this other being, non-human being, has also, like, existed as part of my family's life for, like, decades. So, yeah, I just felt very connected to it. That's beautiful. I love Thanks. how magical trees and plants are, especially in the Philippines. Yeah. So I wanted to ask this other question because we use one of your songs on my son's morning mix on his way to daycare and it's we need each other and so I listen to your song every day as sort of like our morning meditation to daycare and there's this line in the song rage is power hope's a drug but grief is love grief is love I just wanted to ask you because I hear it every day what was the inspiration for that line and also just I love how that perspective about grief because I never thought of Ooh. it that way. Thank you. Yeah. First of all, what an honor to be part of a young person's life every morning. I mean, yours too, but like also like I'm not a parent, but I would imagine like I would be so intentional about, you know, what kind of 
culture and media my child gets to consume, especially when they're young. So like, wow, thank you. I'm so honored to be part of that playlist. And especially that song, that line, Grief is Love, is like, I like want to put it in every song because it was such a learning for me. I don't remember. It was probably through a writer that I found on Instagram or something that grief is love idea and it's just been such a good reminder especially these last few years since the pandemic started so I wrote that song during a time where like I was having a lot of heightened emotions it was like September 2020 and like the pandemic had been going on for months and then the like uprisings after like George Floyd passed were like happening that summer and then like that crazy day when the sky turned orange it was just like really intense and I was having all these feelings and I felt like all my friends were also having a lot of hard feelings but and it was hard to talk about because we're raised not to talk about things like rage anger and grief so I think writing that song for myself was like a reminder that these emotions are like more than what we were taught and like we don't need to be afraid of them yeah and especially grief is love like every time I think about a loss and I want to push it away that just reminds me that grief is love and it's a reminder to like bring it close to me instead of just like try to hide it yeah when I think about it too it's so funny because the day we air your podcast episode is the day after my father's death anniversary and when I think about that line grief is love I think about grief being a manifestation of like all the love that you shared together but also like all the love that you feel is now going to be missing Mm -hmm. with this person physically gone Mm -hmm. in your life but of course for me I believe you know they live on in another kind of dimension or spiritual world that we physically can't see but I feel my father every day and I know he visits and I know he's with me and he's with my son so just that reminder I I love that he gets to hear that and that's part of his daily meditation of songs yeah thank you for sharing that about your dad yeah All right. So for those who are not familiar with your music and your artistry, can you just tell me your origin story? How did you even start making music? Yeah. Yeah. So I think like a lot of kids, well, a lot of kids. Yeah. I've been writing songs since I was a kid, being in musicals. I took piano lessons. My parents would make me sing at parties and stuff. But I only started making music professionally and being more intentional about it. It was like nine years ago. Until then, I'd been working at a nonprofit job managing after school and enrichment programs for youth and young adults with mental illness. And I had worked there for like seven years and like had led some arts programs and other things. But I was kind of like, tied to that job because I wasn't a U.S. citizen. My family moved all over 
the world. I grew up mostly in Africa and then I came to California for school and then stayed like kind of like tying visas together for work in order to stay in the country. So like I was at this job. I loved it, but also I was kind of like stuck there for a long time. But then when I finally was able to get my green card, I started saving up money to leave my job and start making music, which was a big leap for me personally and my family kind of because my family doesn't have professional artists in it, at least in the living generations now. Who knows back in the older days if there were some musicians in my line or artists in my line. But yeah, it was like a big leap And the first couple of years after leaving my job, I set out to make music and I had all this time and like $25,000 in my savings. And I was still not making music when I first left. And I realized, oh, it wasn't time that was preventing me from making music. There's like fear here. And it took a few years of like, me doing other freelance non-music jobs and sort of building up the courage to perform more before I really felt like an artist. So it's been a long and unexpected road to get here. I love that you mentioned that. I mean, first of all, there's a lot of touch points that I want to follow up on in just that one answer. But I'm going to sort of go straight to it and ask, how did you get over your imposter syndrome? You know, as an artist myself, it took me a really long time to call myself a writer actor. And that Mm -hmm. was a process in itself. But I feel like the day I finally stood in my power and was like, yes, I'm naming it. I am an actor. Yeah. Living in New York. That's when everything started to manifest for me. You know, I think it still comes up every once in a while. But what really helped for me was this practice called The Dig, which I learned from my friend and collaborator, Jay Stolar. The practice is like every day you start the day as little as like eight minutes or like five minutes, like whatever time you have, and you do an improvisation I would just like turn on my phone recording notes. What are those called? Voice notes. (laughs) I would just turn on my voice notes and just like hum or sing whatever popped into my consciousness that morning. And I would set a timer for five minutes. And when that five minutes was done, I could stop or I could keep going. But just that tiny little practice every morning sort of like grew and grew over weeks and months until it became a longer part of my practice in the morning and until like I got to a point where I realized like oh yeah I've been tending to this part of myself this artist part of myself every day in a tiny way for I don't remember how long it was but it was like months and slowly I was starting to like feel like I was an artist I was keeping this commitment to myself to make art every day and yeah those little improvisations like most of them 
are still just like notes on my phone that I've forgotten about or some of them are ones that like I really felt connected to and I've saved and like might come back to later and then some of them turned into actual songs that I've fleshed out and released so that little practice helped build my own feeling of legitimacy as an artist I love that I really, really love that. It kind of reminds me of the book. Have you ever read Atomic Habits by James Clear? No. So he's gone around the country, around the world, speaking about tiny changes, remarkable results. Mm -hmm. And it's not about saying, I'm going to go on a diet, you know, or I'm going to make this change. It's about really claiming it as yourself so instead of saying i'm gonna go on a diet it's more like i am a healthy person that makes healthy choices Mm -hmm. and rephrasing that and reclaiming it and just sort of yeah uh, changing your perspective on how that looks and i love how you combine that with the actual daily practice because that's exactly what he talks about even small steps right like make remarkable results And that's essentially what they teach for writers, right? Just show up every day for even 12 minutes a day. And soon that 12 minutes will turn to one hour. That one hour will turn to two hours. And so Mm -hmm. you have your manuscript, your script, your book, your novel. Yeah. And I guess what my follow-up question for that is, I love how that sort of started you on your artist practice and getting you to where you honed your craft, but what other ways did you utilize to hone your craft even more as you started to grow in your music? Yeah, and that practice is still one that I do today. I don't do it as consistently, but whenever I'm feeling like dry, (laughs) dry is a good word, yeah. Whenever I'm feeling dry, I like start up that practice again just to like, get the juices flowing and like craft is so important so I'm really glad that you asked this question because I think when I was just starting out I wasn't as committed to craft as I was to like my brand or whatever (laughs) you know like the more external things that I hoped would like attract people to my Instagram or my list or like come to my shows so craft is like the core of it so I'm glad you're asking this question a couple of things in community I participate in songwriting circles so workshops of friends and colleagues I used to go to one when my friend Samantha Margaret who's also an artist a singer-songwriter who's since moved to LA she lived in the city and she would host a songwriting circle once a month at her house and invite all of her songwriter friends. And we would sit around, we would like gather uh, on like a Thursday evening and play each other a song. And then everyone would give feedback. And, you know, before I was really going to open mics and performing a lot, a lot, that was a way to like check if a song was resonating with people and then get really thoughtful feedback from people about how to make the song better yeah and then like performing really helps me hone my craft because when there's like a really 
clear purpose or like I know who exactly I'm going to be performing for or like I know that I'm going to be performing for an audience that sort of crystallizes a bunch of things that don't get to crystallize without that sort of pressure so that's like community and like external ways that I keep practicing my craft but I think one of the biggest things is being in a cave like a creative cave by myself do you follow astrology at all or study astrology I do but I'm not hella deep into it let's just say <laughs> like I just I know my sun and my moon and rising and that's about it <laughs> yeah I'm not super deep into it I am starting to learn more about myself getting like readings from a friend but in one of these readings she explained to me so like my son is in Sagittarius in the 12th house and that 12th house is like the house of like hidden spaces and isolation and institutionalization you know in some ways in my history it like spoke to like why I worked with like kids who had like severe mental health issues and were needing support living back at home after institutionalization but also in my creative life that 12th house vibe is like she was like you need to be by yourself to like really birth the things you want to birth and that was super hard for me, like, before the pandemic. I love saying yes to things. I love hanging out with my friends. I was so busy. I would, like, go to things, like, almost every night of the week. But then when the pandemic started and we were just at home, you know, in a lot of ways, while it was really hard and really scary during that time, it was also really good for my own creative practice because I needed isolation. Yeah. I feel that a hundred percent. I think when people meet me, they automatically think, oh, she must be so extroverted. But really, I'm just a very good actor. And I'm, I would say, 60% introverted and 40% extroverted. So the pandemic was like heaven for me. Yeah, I feel like it really changed. I identified as an extrovert before the pandemic. And now I'm like, oh, maybe I am <laughs> Like being alone is kind of great. <laughs> I love hanging out with myself. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I love that you mentioned that, you know, like as an artist, I think it's really important to be aware of, like you said, brand and marketing is completely different from craft. Mm -hmm. right? But I think this newer generation, it's all kind of melding together for them. You know, this mm. whole TikTok generation, <laughs> I call it. Yeah. A lot of it is more based on branding and marketing and visual versus the time that people spend within the craft and honing that craft. And so that's why mm -hmm. I'm such a big fan of yours. Oh, thanks, Nicole. <laughs> I watched your tiny desk on YouTube and I totally fangirled out for like the following week. I just listened to you on repeat. <laughs> oh, yay. Oh, that's that's really kind. Thank you. <laughs> but for the listeners at home who aren't familiar with your work or haven't listened to your YouTube videos or music, 
Could you just describe to them what your sound and genre of music is? So sound-wise, and like every time I answer this question, it kind of like comes out different because I'm evolving. (laughs) We're evolving complex creatures. But like sound-wise, right now I'm really feeling into that it's a partnership between electronic and organic. I like to mix textures and colors, and I really like experimenting with digital instruments and figuring out like how to shape a sound. I'm not like super expert at it yet, but playing with it has been fun. And then on the other side, like I like recording sounds at home and outside and uh, using like organic feeling textures in my music to sort of like shape the whole song and just add different elements that maybe you don't necessarily like hear you don't like hear a sound and think oh that's a whale but I know it's a whale and so now I know that this song is like also supported by whale energy if that makes any sense yeah because like my first song that I released is called be a little lonely it's like a pop bop ish but there's a whale in there if you didn't know I had no idea (laughs) now I do (laughs) yeah I really like to mix organic and electric stuff digital stuff and then another significant part of my music is multi-part harmony and dissonance and I think that comes from my background in choir in college I sang in a choir for four years and making harmonies with people is like one of the most satisfying things I can experience in my day-to-day life it's something that has sort of slowed down or um, I've lost a little with the pandemic but hopefully I'll be able to do that again soon so in the meantime I'm just doing it by myself (laughs) but I love how you put that right where you are ever evolving beings especially creatives Mm. and artists you know I feel like my artistry has grown so much during the pandemic and as you have such a unique voice musically how did you find yours like how was that evolution to where you are now and I guess the follow-up question is what can artists who are still emerging musical artists or visual artists how could they find their unique voice doing that practice that I talked about the dig was a way that I got to know my voice and got to know like both physically like the things that my voice was capable of because during that improvisation I would do like silly things or like try to sing like Prince or like you know just try experiment with a bunch of things but also like from a lyrical and content perspective like what kind of things were coming out of me when there was no pressure to perform yeah just doing that practice every day helped me over time just kind of see patterns emerging. It's funny, like when I first started out, I was kind of all over the place as a songwriter and performer and just like trying to figure out who I was. And for a while I would just see what was popular or if I was at an open mic, like who was the person that like really like blew me away or blew everyone away and then like kind of try to mimic them for a while or just like put on their energy 
for a while. And I think that that practice, in one aspect, it was like I was seeking validation or like I wanted to be like them. But in another aspect, like putting on all those different clothes over time helped me figure out like what felt comfortable to seeing, what felt pleasurable to seeing or express. And that sort of practical exploration helped me feel more confident in my voice. I really appreciate you talking about that, right? Because I think as Filipinos, I don't know if it's like a culture thing, Mm. but we are so good at like being the cover band or, you know, like doing cover (laughs) songs of other Uh. famous musical groups, other famous singers. I think that's why your music, it was so refreshing to me because it was different, Mm. but yet when I listened to it, I felt like I was at home. Mm. Oh, yay. That's the goal. (laughs) You know? Exactly. And I I feel like there's so much pressure within the music industry to chart and to get the followers, the likes, the ratings, whatever you have it. But Mm -hmm. that's why I am so proud of you as a former grantee, but also just as Mm -hmm. a fellow Panay artist, that you have been able to find your voice and hone your craft And, you know, there's still moments where we have that imposter syndrome. Uh, I don't deny I get it too. Yeah. But, you know, you're being courageous enough to experiment and to take up space. Mm. Yeah. And I want to acknowledge how much of that courage comes from other people who are also like authentically expressing themselves and experimenting and not afraid to change and like continue evolving in public and also to like the culture, the Filipinx, Filipino, Filipino culture here in the Bay Area. Like there are so many Filipinos here and we have such a wealth and diversity of culture here that Filipino doesn't have to mean one thing. Like it doesn't have to mean like the red, white and blue with the sun or just lumpia, you know? Although, like, lumpia forever. But... <laughs> Shanghai. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I love that you talk about that. But before we even go into, because we are a Filipinx, Filipino-American podcast, before we even get into that, I do want to ask, you talked about Prince, and I know in past interviews you've talked about Mariah Carey, but who else are your musical influences and can you talk more about how they helped shape your kind of music i grew up in the like cd and vinyl time (laughs) tapes were around but like we didn't really play tapes in my house and the cds that were on loop there was like the r&b and like divas section mariah whitney Celine Dion, who is an R&B, but a diva. And then the music I bought, maybe it's because my family lived in Canada for a bit, was like Canadian women songwriters, yes. like Alanis <laughs> Morissette, Sarah McLaughlin. <laughs> yeah, so th- I think those are the popular sounds that shaped my childhood. And then as an adult, 
you know, when I moved to the United States, I happened to become friends with people. Like, my friend Ron is like, he loves Luther Vandross and Prince. And my family didn't have, actually, I didn't like listen to a lot of Prince growing up. But now I'm like obsessed. So like, yeah, my friend groups would shape my listening tastes and what I was exposed to. I'm still like learning more and more about hip hop. I'm definitely not a hip hop artist, but like the beats and the like expression in a lot of hip hop that I listen to is like a feeling that I like cultivate, but it doesn't come through in the like sound of my own music necessarily. And I also know you talked about growing up in Africa, but I want to know more about that time and being raised, you know, basically a multicultural Filipina, traveling and living in different areas of the world. How did that influence or inspire you as an artist? I think one of the biggest ways is that meeting all those different kinds of people and learning how to belong with all those different kinds of people really developed my empathy. Let me just rewind for a second. So I'm doing some interviews with my elders as sort of like a family history project that's also like part of a larger project that I'm creating music from. And one of the values that's coming through really strongly is like the sense of generosity that my grandfather had and just like helping the people around him. I think that plus like growing up in a bunch of different places shaped my desire to like be of service. And like my music is one, like I just love making music. So personally for myself, it's like a pleasure practice, but for my community, like my music is service for people. And I think growing up in a multicultural environment has influenced it in that way. And then just also in the like, in the sounds that I am drawn to, it's kind of hard to like pinpoint exactly like, oh, I really like this beat because I listened to it a lot in Malawi. Like, I can't say exactly where things come from because we lived in like five different countries, but I definitely feel drawn to a lot of different sounds and I love learning about different instruments. I don't have like a bunch of different drums or something at home. I like there's this tool called Splice for music producers where you can like type in an instrument or like a sound and it'll show you all the different loops and recordings of that sound. So I'll like go into Splice and be like Kulintang or there actually are not a lot of kulintangs. There's just like one artist that has one slice or like water drum or something and play with those in my production. Ooh, what were the five countries that you lived in? And were there other Filipinos in those countries? Morocco, Canada, Malawi, Kazakhstan, and Mozambique were the countries my family lived in before I moved to the United States and there were, I mean, you know, this like labor is one of the Philippines' greatest exports. So there were Filipinos everywhere and there was community everywhere. Like there weren't always kids my age at school, but 
like in Malawi, every year a different family would throw a Philippine independence party and then people would come from like all over the country, or at least that area of the country near the long way to come to the party and then I'd like get to meet the other kids who were like going to different schools and be like, oh my gosh, that kid's cute. <laughs> and I just see him once a year, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like back in the day before there was Facebook, I think people like my parents met people through the Philippine embassy and other Filipinos. We are everywhere. I have to say everywhere. You yeah. know, when you take a cruise and you see all the waiters are Filipino, you know, all the service industry folks on cruise lines are Filipino. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of my cousins live in Saudi Arabia and Australia. Yeah. I was like thinking about this the other day, but like when I was younger, my family went to, where was it? Like Dubai on the way to somewhere in Africa. I don't remember if it was Malawi or Mozambique, but we like stopped in Dubai and like had a little vacation. And there was a bunch of Filipinos walking down the sidewalk towards us. And they would just like my family and the other adults would just be like, hey, like they would stop in the middle of the sidewalk and be like, hey, where are you from? What are you doing here? I don't do that really as an adult now. I'm like, don't just let people be. But there was what was it like the 90s and early 2000s like that sense of like oh there's some filipinos like let's go talk to them and like just have randomly have dinner with them you know well also you're in the bay area now so there's filipino everywhere uh, yeah i know but when i first oh my god i'm such a dork when i first came here and be like hey you're filipino and they're like what so, <laughs> I don't, but i was like so hungry for just seeing Connection. another person my age that was filipino yeah, yeah. No, yeah, that's real. I think that's why I pride ourselves as Cultivate Labs that we host Mm -hmm. so many opportunities and events for folks to connect, you know, because even though Mm -hmm. Bay Area is hella populated with Filipinos, you have your pockets of the Bay where I will hear from folks, I'm the only Filipino in my high school. Or, you know, I'm Mm. the only Filipino living in a 20-mile radius in my neighborhood. So Mm -hmm. I get that. You know, it's that connection, I think, that is deep in our DNA. You know, we are a tribal village people. And it's important to be connected. And speaking of Mm. Filipino culture, how do you think Filipino culture and community has really influenced you and colored your choices now as a musical artist, especially post-pandemic. Yeah. So I've been reading this book called Concepcion by Albert Samaha. Have you heard of it or read it yet? Cool. No, I haven't. So Albert Samaha is a journalist. I think he still works or used to work for BuzzFeed. And he wrote a book that chronicles his family history I'm only halfway through it. It's really good, if anybody wants to pick that up. And in the book, there was just like a sentence that was like, before colonization, the people of the Philippine Islands didn't have a shared identity. It became the Philippines. It became like a unit during colonization. I think about that a lot. Like that one culture from the island chain currently known as the Philippines can be as different from another one 
as it is from like British culture or something. And just like thinking about how diverse culture is in the Philippines validates and stokes my own curiosity about my own family's culture. And right now, like how it influences my choices as an artist, like right now I'm working on that oral history project I was talking about before of my family. And right now it's sort of like veering into the natural history of my family and interviewing them about like the animals and plants and elemental things like the ocean or the mountains that they grew up with and were in relationship with throughout their lives. And just learning like, I personally have an affinity for nature and getting to know my aunt better, one of my oldest aunties better, like hearing her own connection to plants and then like learning more about spirituality before colonization that a lot of Filipino cultures, a lot of Filipino tribes practiced animism, which is like the spirit in plants and animals. And right now those elements of Filipino culture are sort of driving my creative practice yes to going to our roots i love it (laughs) you know you think about it right the philippine islands is more than seven thousand islands right Mm -hmm. so if you think about colonization before america before spain those seven thousand islands within each island there was definitely at least one separate kind of tribe right Mm-hmm. Yeah, different like religions, different spiritualities, different, but also like there was the Malay, there was the, you know, the Islamic tribes, there were the Chinese that came at different mm-hmm. times of the Philippines. And you just think about like those 7,000 different kinds of tribes or peoples had to, under colonization, had to just be formed under one. Mm-hmm. And it blows my mind that colonization has just basically screwed our history up in so many ways. You know, we are a village and a tribal people, but we're also very different. Yeah. And like that personal realization for myself that sort of came from a bunch of different like writers and thinkers on Instagram about decolonizing and learning about colonization and realizing like what have I lost from my own lineage due to colonization like that question is like really one of the root questions that drives my work right now and inspires me or like motivates me to interview my elders and ask them questions that I haven't asked them before or like have been like afraid to ask them because they'll think it's weird (laughs) yeah I did the same thing during the pandemic I interviewed all my you know elders (laughs) any elder over the age of 60 right because to me it was like Mm -hmm. this is the closest thing I'm gonna have to oral history Mm -hmm. and recording them on zoom but what I found was that generation was so seeped in colonization and seeing the colonizer as their hero. Mm-hmm. A lot of the ways that I am decolonizing reminded me that a lot of the ways I'm decolonizing, it's not even possible for them to wrap their head around. 
What were some of the questions you asked? I wanted to know more about, because my grandmother on my father's side is Warai. Mm. And historically, Warai warriors were, you know, very fierce fighters against, you know, the colonizers. (laughs) And I wanted to know more about that history. And my grandmother's sister couldn't answer any of my questions. Mm. Because she was raised during the Second World War where they saw America as the heroes who liberated them from the Japanese invaders. And so it was like, wow, it's so interesting to me how, you know, her experience is so different from what I was taught at SF State. Mm -hmm. The Spanish-American War, you know, the American soldiers killed the philippine children over the age of what was it eight or nine or maybe even younger than that and to hear her and that generation especially white americans as like i said they're heroes they're saviors something to work towards versus like trying to get our freedom from and so i just feel like our generation has that ability now to decolonize and re-indigenize, as some folks would prefer to say, hmm. in a way that even my mom's generation doesn't have the capacity to or the willingness to. And so I love that you spoke about that here and in your artistry. I had a similar experience. Like when I first started interviewing them, I kind of had an agenda to try to uncover like their real feelings about the colonizers, <laughs> you know, but it didn't work. <laughs> and not that they're like, what's the word, like proselytizers of white supremacy. But I think that's why I turned to asking about natural history. And I'm still trying to figure out how to articulate this, but like there's something about the land and the elemental parts of Filipino culture, or at least my family's culture, that's kind of revealing things that I couldn't get to with more like straightforward or like basic questions about like values or like trying to figure out who our family was before colonization. Because like the earth changes more slowly than like our human cultures do. I feel like there's something there I haven't quite figured out how to articulate, but I'm starting to just like really probe into more with my questions for my family. Ooh, I love that you talked about that. I had this feeling, (laughs) this conversation was, (laughs) I love that we have a guideline in our questions to our guests, but I love how organically our conversations will go to even more interesting and deeper. Sweet. Deeper topics. You know, I've always had a feeling that the Philippines is a portal. Mm, Tell me more. And there's something special about the land where you hear these stories, right? Even before colonizers and things like that, where if you are in the jungle, let's say, you have to pay respect to the spirits that are there or else you will come back all kinds of messed up. (laughs) I've heard stories where people actually like, witness things or they come back sick because they touch things or didn't give respect to the land like they were told to like as simple as saying you know 
is it Tabi Tabi Po? Mm-hmm. And for those that don't speak Tagalog or Filipino, Tabi Tabi Po is more like a sign of respect and saying, excuse me, you know, I'm here just as a visitor. Please excuse me. I'm just passing through because in the Philippines, they have, you know, whatever you want to call it, spirits, duende, you know, things like that, dwarves that mm-hmm. live in the jungle way before humans even came about and they're still there mm-hmm. people say oh it's superstitious you know uh, those are just old wives tales but i believe that there's some kind of force or spirits within our philippine forests and nature and you talked about is it animism animism yes <laughs> and i believe in that I believe that there is some kind of spiritual force in the Philippines, you know, that, like you said, the earth, it just evolves way slower than humanity. And you can feel that energy there. It's a lot like Australia. Mm, I've never been to Australia. Mm -mm. If you ever go to Australia, go to their rainforest. They have some of the oldest rainforests on earth. Okay, first of all, I didn't know there was a rainforest in Australia. Yeah, and (laughs) some of the rainforests are so old that their trees and plants are like millions of years old. They date back like towards a dinosaur period. And you feel that energy there too. And I'm all about Mm. energy. So I'm going to geek out a little bit on this portion of the podcast. Let's do it. Let's go there. Just forget everything else we said. Let's just talk about this. (laughs) And I've always felt like the mythology and also just the spirituality and the energy work of the Babylon. Have you heard of the Babylon? Mm -hmm. You know, before Catholicism came to the Philippines, these were our spiritual gurus. These were mostly women who held you know, the spiritual advice for the village. And they were basically killed. A lot of them were killed when Catholicism Mm -hmm. and colonizers came in, especially Spanish colonizers. And they were fed to the crocodiles. Mm. And that's why crocodiles are such important and powerful totems and animals in Philippine culture because they hold that power of the Babylon. Mm, yeah, I. Who's the JL? JL, JL I mean, big. She's That's, a really close homie yeah. of mine. Yeah, I've learned so much from her, like what she shares and like her workshops and stuff, uh, just about that portion of our culture. Because it's something like as a kid, I didn't learn about. Like, I don't know if you experienced this too, but when I was a kid, like Filipino culture wasn't cool or like not cool but like I didn't appreciate it I didn't appreciate the richness there was Mm. there I didn't know any Filipino artists besides like Lea Salonga who's amazing (laughs) but like I didn't know about folk arts I didn't know about our spirituality I just assumed everybody was Catholic not even everybody's Catholic Yeah. yeah and just like I'm so grateful to live in this time even though there was colonization there's like still a lot of people who are asking like really deep questions and people who are still connected to their own healing lineages or 
different cultural practices. And then like people who are indigenous and teaching people more about what indigenous cultures in the Philippines are trying to preserve. Yeah, it's just as much as <laughs> as much as I like struggle with social media, like it's a really, really good tool to like learn more about the richness of our culture. Yeah, I think because I was born American and third generation, it's taken me a long time to realize the same, right? It wasn't until last year when I found a bunch of my grandmother's letters that I found out my great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was actually a Muslim chieftain. Oh, wow. Named Datu Biru. And he owned a lot of land in Mindanao. You know, that's where most of the Muslims live in the Philippines, is the southern part of the Philippines. And you hear all these, like, horror stories, terror stories that the Muslims are terrorists, you know, all this propaganda. But reading these letters is like, wow, that's actually in my DNA. (laughs) This is part of my family history. And so, yeah, it's really eye-opening to now see as an adult that the Philippines is more than just, like you said, our food mm-hmm. and the artistic and, let's say, just political and spiritual culture that has been sort of shaped by colonization. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 7,000 islands. So I think there's so yeah. much more that we can uncover and dig deeper into. And I think decolonizing and re-indigenizing is a journey that each person gets to sort of rediscover and uncover for themselves. Yeah. I think when I started this process of like trying to find my roots, I had this like black and white, all or nothing kind of view of it. Like I need to find all the answers and like know exactly where my family came from and stuff like that. And like the longer I spend with it, the more I am learning how not impossible, but like how hard that is. Maybe it's impossible because like so much of our culture was destroyed by the Spanish and then how much of culture was like passed down orally and not necessarily recorded. But I think just the curiosity and the act, just the process of doing it, regardless of whether you find exactly what you were looking, or I'll speak for myself too, like whether I find what I set out to look for, I think the process itself is healing. You know, I feel like part of my mission here on Earth, or this time-space reality, (laughs) is to help heal ancestral trauma because so many of my ancestors and generations before me didn't have, like I said, the capacity or ability to do that. And so there's a lot of patterns that get repeated when you don't heal that ancestral trauma. But I love that as an artist, as you know, a musician, and just as a creator, you utilize sound in music in a way that has a healing effect. Can you share your experience with this and maybe how music has even healed yourself? Because I know during the process of creating your recent EP, Breathe Underwater, you talked a little bit in a past interview about grief during the pandemic. 
I guess I'll talk about Breathe Underwater first. So this was a project that was funded by Balai Creative in part. And it hasn't been publicly released as of today. Like it's not on streaming yet. I'm not sure if it will be on streaming when this goes out. We'll see. But I did a performance of it through the grant last year. And the songs are almost ready in their final recorded stages. But anyway, the process of making that EP, well, so I've been talking about how I've been interviewing my family. Like a few of those songs came directly from the time that I spent interviewing my family. I moved to Calgary, Alberta in Canada last summer for three months, which is where a lot of my mom's side of the family immigrated from the Philippines and started doing my interviews there. And then my mom and my sibling were there that summer, and I wrote one of the songs that's on the EP. It's called Same Feather, Same Together, (laughs) is a song that I wrote with my mom and my sibling using a process that's inspired by a process called collective songwriting, which comes from an artivist band based in L.A. called Quetzal. And basically, like, interviewed my mom and sibling about the pandemic and their experiences and charted all of their responses and, like, invited them to have conversation about um, certain things that they mentioned. And then together, we, like, wrote the chorus of the song. As I said, it's called Same Feather, Same Together, which comes from my mom saying... Like we were talking about how Aaron, my sibling, and their partner did not have FOMO about like not being able to go anywhere because they just like staying at home. And mom was like, oh, same feather, same together. Like birds of a feather flock together. (laughs) And when she said that, my sibling and I were both like, that's going to be the title of the song. And so we wrote that song and love that. The process was healing because it had been a few years that I had been able to see my mom or my sibling because of the travel restrictions on the pandemic. Like, I live here in the United States. My sibling lives in Canada, and my mom lived in the Philippines. And to be able to come together last summer and do something so intimate with them was just like all those months that I had missed them. It just felt so rich to like be able to make something together and then at the end have a song that we can listen to that I can listen to (laughs) later and like whenever I miss them be like we made that together and just like have that memory and then also to like uplift quote unquote my mom's I'm doing like air quotes my mom's broken English because I don't think her English is broken (laughs) but that's what how you would describe same feather same together but like also to uplift her language hopefully feels affirming for her Mm, I love that too Mm. and so how do you think your music has a healing effect for others oh yeah I'm very intentional about that I think there's like the physical element which is like the frequencies of sound that can influence your nervous system and rhythms that can influence your nervous system. So I like getting nerdy about those. And then 
on a emotional level, like the lyrics that I write. I think some of my favorite songs are ones that feel like they didn't come from me. So the song that you really like, Nicole, Big Forehead, <laughs> which isn't out yet, but will be out at some time this year. It sort of just flowed through. And when I got stuck, I would go for a walk outside with my dog. And then the rest of the chorus would come. Other lyrics would come. And it really felt like they were coming from my ancestors or my guides. Yeah, and I feel like being able to record that and share that hopefully has a positive impact on people. How did you know I was going to talk about that song? (laughs) (laughs) That song changed my life. It really made an impact for me at our event, Ancestor Altars, our All Souls Day event last year, because I'm a new mom and my body is going through all these different changes even after giving birth. And one of the changes is I am still retaining water weight. And so hmm. I look a lot like my grandma did. Oh. And everyone that sees me, my family members are like, you look just like your grandma now. You look like in, you know, my grandma was chubby. She was a, a bigger woman, let's say. And, you know, the ego and the westernized beauty lens of it is like, oh, no, I'm fat. Right. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, I've gained this weight and I'm not back to my old pre-baby body but then after hearing your song and you explaining how it came to you it really changed my perspective on how I see my body now in a more healthy whole way and how it's connected to my ancestors and how hey, this might be temporary. I may lose the weight in a year or two years, whatever. But even if I don't, like, this is a gift. This is a gift from my ancestors. This is a gift from the people that came before me. And I get to appreciate it and see it in a new way that is more healthy, more loving, and more full of grace for myself instead of this colonized Western way of what beauty should Mm. be. And that's why I feel like your music is so healing because it really, like I said, it brings back to home. It grounds us back. And that I love how you opened up about your process in writing that song because as a writer, I feel the same way. There are certain projects where I know my ancestors have channeled through me and written certain scenes, certain dialogue that there's no way I knew how to speak this way. There's no way... I have this vocabulary (laughs) in my own life and being able to channel that with them, I think is a very beautiful and unique gift that not a lot of artists talk about. Thanks for saying that part because I was just thinking like I majored in biology (laughs) in, in college and like science and like and math and those very and like factual like proven kind of subjects were kind of like my dominant identity when I was younger so it's still hard for me to like talk about oh my ancestors helped me write songs because I feel this fear of being like somebody challenging me and being like how do you know can you prove it 
Like, that's stupid. One, I know it to be true. I feel it to be true. Two, one of my like paths of healing is coming to understand like there are so many different ways of knowing in this world and some ways of knowing like the scientific method have been upheld by white supremacy. And not saying that the scientific method isn't useful because it definitely is. But like it's not the only way of knowing. It's not the only way of seeing. So, yeah. Uh, when, this, when this podcast comes out, I'm going to be like, oh, I came out of the spiritual closet a little bit. <laughs> I feel the same way. <laughs> I wasn't really open about that because, like you said, the fear of not only challenging, but the fear of judgment. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm reading this book. I love how we just like, <laughs> let's just reference all these books. <laughs> I'm reading this book. I think you're reading the same one. Rest is Resistance, a Manifesto mm-hmm. yeah. by Trisha Hersey. She says the same thing, right? That white supremacy, the patriarchy, and capitalism have basically uh, ingrained in us this hustle culture, this grind culture, all these sorts of industries and systems that have disconnected us from our spirituality. And I'm not just saying religion. I'm saying like spirituality. Like everyone has, in my opinion, everyone has a spirit. We all have a soul, right? Unless you're a machine. We all have a soul. And I think we forget that as humans with technology. And when I talk about my ancestors, when I talk about sort of my connection to ancestors and my spirituality, there is that part of me, you know, that born again Christian part of me that's like freaking out of the possible judgment from others, from friends, from coworkers, from even family members on my process as an artist. But then I have to remind myself, like, they are all coming from a place of white supremacy from capitalism from colonization and we're all doing our best i am my own decolonization journey and like you said i know it to be true i know it you know um and it's not hurting anyone it's not hurting me and i feel like it's a very special connection that i have with my ancestors now that i Mm. never really felt I had the ability to do before and now I'm very selective when I channel in my artistry but when I do it's very magical Mm, yeah and it's for you and it's for all of us I'm sure when it comes through maybe not all of us but like for more than you exactly exactly like your song big forehead it's such a healing song and it comes from a place of an ancestor that is trying to uplift us out of these norms of self-hate mm-hmm. yeah, and self-loathing dialogue that I feel like, yeah, how could this be a bad thing? No, it can't. Yeah. It isn't. Yeah. Even if that ancestor or like some family have perpetuated the like harmful body image stuff, they're messages coming through in my line in our lines that are like no remember (laughs) that doesn't have to be the way exactly 
Okay, I think it's actually time to wrap things up. I know I could talk hours and hours with you. (laughs) (laughs) What a compliment. I wanted to wrap up our conversation with what is coming up next for you? What are you excited about for this coming year? And maybe also, where do you think your art is going next? Um, well, I am working on the final touches of the EP that I started in the Balai Creative Creative Growth Grant Program. And I'm excited to start releasing those later those singles later this year and building the visual stories around them and yeah and just like sharing each song with folks you just released maybe a month ago a new song a new ep yeah it's called you are a wonder and i love the lyric you are redwood is that the lyric the lyric is you know the feeling looking up at a redwood You are that feeling. You are the redwood. I have such an affinity for redwoods. And it's so funny that you wrote that lyric because I literally have had that feeling in 2020 when like we were in lockdown. We couldn't go anywhere except like out in nature. And I was in the Oakland redwoods looking Mm. up and feeling like in a past life or something. I was a redwood tree. I love that. Yeah, I mean, the whole intention behind that song is like thinking about our relationships beyond only human relationships. Yeah, and I love that that evoked that memory for you. Of And also, yes, specifically the Oakland Redwoods <laughs> were part of the inspiration for that song because, yeah, it's such a beautiful place. We're so lucky to have them just like in our city. And they're like, millions of years old redwood trees yeah so i think the ones in oakland i was just listening to a podcast a lot of them are newer and- but they already so tall but there is i forget what it's called there is one super super old tree in i think it's like leona heights park that didn't get logged because it was in like some weird inaccessible place and it's many 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 years old hundreds that's up we're gonna have to google it but and it's not called old faithful it's called something but it's in leona heights park and it's like the oldest tree in this area i love that too i did a one woman show where i play my father and this is a true story he showed me a mural that he worked on of a redwood tree and a week before he showed me that mural, I had a dream about a redwood tree. Oh, wow. And there oh, was... So that's like significant symbology in your lineage. Yeah. And he was explaining to me the metaphor of a redwood tree and the mural and it being at times when he was working on the mural, he would be so focused on the small details that he would get frustrated because it wasn't perfect. Uh, Mm. But the head muralist would often have to remind him to step back from his work and look at the bigger picture and see that the minute details often don't matter. It's really stepping back and taking a look at the whole thing. And that's what's like, like life, right? Like 
the bigger mm-hmm. picture. That's what's mattering in your life. And then you're yeah. like, see. Was that in your dream too? Like, what was your dream about? Do you remember? It was something similar where it was the rings of the redwood tree and having mm-hmm. to like see the details of the rings, but also stepping back and seeing how all together they make this beautiful spiritual thing. Yeah, I really resonate with that too, especially in that song, stepping back and seeing the connection, like we're all part of nature and we're all worthy of awe and compassion and, yeah, curiosity. And I think oftentimes when we worry about all these little things, we don't see that Mm -hmm. connection. Mm -hmm. And that's why. Yeah, we're so like focused on ourselves. And trying to, like, fit into some expectations rather than just existing. Yeah, like, when I look at a tree or a plant or anything, I'm like, that plant's just existing. Like, I could learn something from them. Yeah, existing and connecting and, yeah, and giving without having mm-hmm. to try. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you to your dad for that lesson. And thanks to the Redwoods. Yes, thanks to Oakland Redwoods. Oh, so many good hikes. I think I have one last question, sort of like, um, what are you nerding out or what are you aligning to right now? The books I'm nerding out on right now are Concepcion, which I already mentioned, by Albert Samaha, Essential Labor by Angela Garbus, who is a Filipino writer, what else? Oh, there's a magazine called Emergence Magazine, which is at the intersection of ecology, culture, and spirituality. That is really cool. Everyone should check out. And then musically, I'm really into Moses Sumney right now. And he has, actually, I don't know what Moses's pronouns are. Moses has a video that was shot in Appalachia That's like a live concert that goes from morning to night and it's beautiful and it's called Black Alicia. And basically that is my vision board for the year. (laughs) It's Moses Sumney and Black Alicia. I'm literally Googling that right now. I'm going to watch that on the way to Belay today. (laughs) Do it. Beautiful. Thank you. Okay, so... Nikpo, thank you so much for being on our podcast. Thank you for taking the time and, of course, the energy to align with us here. And we wish you all the luck on your residency tomorrow with no internet, possibly no cell service. And we hope that your inner introvert is super excited and gets all the things it wants through it. Thank you so much, Nicole. This has been such a great deep conversation. I felt very comfortable. Thanks. Yay. I loved how Nick Bo utilizes where she grew up in different parts of the world, her eclectic musical tastes, and all her influences into her artistry and craft now. Also, her advice on how to get over imposter syndrome, I feel like is key to any artist in any craft. 
The practice she called the dig was really reminiscent of small steps that you can take every day for remarkable results. I think it's great that every day for eight minutes, she works on her craft and is an inspiration for many, not just in their musical field, but in all fields. I love this whole idea that it's practice and progress over perfection. And that's what's allowed her to find her unique and authentic voice and how she incorporates whale energy and sounds to the healing vibration of her music. You can find all of Nikbo's new releases on nikbomusic.bandcamp.com. Cultural Cultivators is hosted by me, Nicole Salver. You can follow me on Instagram at kindredpoplock. The podcast is co-produced by John Reyes and Belay Creative and is a product of Cultivate Labs. Stay in touch at belaycreative.org.